A crippled beggar cried out to Peter for help. But Peter had neither silver nor gold. What he had was far greater. He offered the man Jesus. Instantly, the man was healed. A crowd rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Well, good morning, everyone. And if you know that we are studying through the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to get in the habit of bringing your Bible, especially if you're a, a parent. What a wonderful thing for your children to observe you doing, bringing your Bible to church and paying attention and joining along in the reading of the Scripture. I want to share with you a picture that was done, a painting done in 1516, a few years before his death, the famous painter Raphael, he painted this Acts 3 account of the healing of the crippled beggar at the temple. You can find this uh, painting at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, which I have been able to do, and I, uh, I highly recommend it. Now, I just want to point out that this was Raphael's uh, imagination. Uh, this is not a snapshot, a painting based on a snapshot of what actually happened, as you can well imagine. And I doubt very much that there were any uh, unclothed children or, or little uh, angels roaming around at that time. But um, I want to read to you from Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And it begins, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And in case you don't know, there are three times per day that the Jewish people would go to pray. There was a morning prayer called Shacharit, which means of the dawn. And then there was the afternoon prayer, which was called Minha, which is what prayer time the apostles were, were observing. And then there's the evening prayer, Arvit, which literally means of the evening. In verse two, it says, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in, and each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. No doubt he was placed there because, first of all, there was lots of people coming and going, and what a great place to cash in as best you could. Uh, perhaps he would take advantage of the fact that some people were coming to the temple feeling guilty for sin and that somehow maybe they could atone for their sin by giving, poor, uh, giving to the poor. Or perhaps, perhaps they would take advantage of the fact that some people were feeling especially spiritual and in that sense they would give to the poor. Well, 
When he saw Peter, verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Does anybody remember the song from from childhood? Silver and gold have I none? Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Well, that's exactly what happens here. Now, I just want to point out something before we go one step further. How many know and recognize today that Jesus Christ is better than silver and gold? Amen. There's four of us that believe that was true. Yes, better than silver, better than Jesus is, and better, better than silver and gold is Jesus Christ himself. Can I just point out something before I go a step further? There are some people who are of the opinion that, that silver and gold is better. But I'm going to tell you, those of us who are converted, we understand that the most important thing is Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. yes. And so we read on. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Let me point out to you here, folks, that this man was lame from birth. We read that in verse 2. He had never walked in his entire life. This was the same power that created the whole universe. And we all know who created the heavens and the earth was Jesus Christ. And John declares that, doesn't he, in the first chapter of John chapter 1, right? And so here's this man laying from birth, and in this moment, there is this creative work done by Jesus Christ himself. Muscles and ligaments and bone tissue are created and put together so that this man can walk. Now, I want you to see what happens next. He jumped up, he stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them, and all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Now, I gotta tell you, when I was born, I didn't come out of the womb and just start to walk and say, okay, what's next? You have to understand that I had to learn how to walk. And my brother, my older brother, likes to, likes to razz me by reminding me that he was smarter and better than me in every way because he walked before I walked. Well, here is this man who's never walked in his life. And not only did God cre- recreate his leg for him through Jesus Christ, but he is instantly able to not only walk, he's able to leap and to praise God and to go into the temple with Peter and John. This is, this is powerful stuff. This is, this is incredibly uh, amazing stuff. This, this healing work of God is 100% complete. It's not partial, it's not part, but it's there altogether. And by the way, if some of you wonder why sometimes Pentecostals do more than just walk, and praise the Lord, and why they leap? Well, here's why. When you understand and recognize the power of God at work in the life of the believer, how can you do anything but leap before the Lord, leap for joy? 
So here's, here's, here's what we understand. According to the Mishnah Kelim, chapter 1, verse 8, nobody with an issue of any kind was allowed into the Temple Mount. By that we mean nobody who was deformed or was lame or had any kind of uh, physical deformant was able to come into the Temple Mount. And, uh, and so here it is for the first time in his life, this, this man who could only sit sit at the gate and look in, was now suddenly able to come before God and to worship him. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture of the power of God at work to heal us and to enable us to enter into all of God's promises. Well, verse 10, it says, when they realized, that is when the crowd realized that this this, uh, man was the lame beggar, that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They were amazed. They were thrilled. They were delighted. They had many questions. What on earth is going on? So verse 11 says, they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now you read that and you, you might wonder, why was he holding tightly to Peter and John? Well, I don't know about you, but when I first learned to walk, I was holding on tightly to my dad's fingers because I didn't want to fall. I'm guessing it, it might have been that. It might have been that, that this guy was just learning to walk, and, and, and he's doing things he's never done before. And, and, and what does he do? He holds on tightly to Peter and John. Well, it, that might be the reason, but it might also be because he recognized that through Peter and John, he was given this gift this marvelous gift of the use of his legs. No longer would he be a beggar at the gate. Now he was able to work and to take care of himself in a manner or a way that he'd never been able to do. He was no longer dependent upon others, but now he is utterly and completely dependent upon God as he uses the gifts that God has given to him. Now, we know what is happening here. A man has just been healed, and it's important to recognize that. Now, for many people, when they read the book of Acts, they read it wrongly. And that is, what I mean by that is they're only, they're only leafing through looking for miracles. And they think that Acts chapter 3 is really all about the miracle. In fact, for a lot of people, they read those first 10 verses, and they don't really pay attention to the sermon that follows The sermon that follows is, in fact, Peter's second sermon, and it's a very powerful sermon, and we're going to look at that this morning. But I want want to ask the question, why is God healing this man? And also, why was he not healing others? Because undoubtedly, he was not the only lame man that was there at that gate. In fact, we know that there were all sorts of sick and lame people throughout Israel. And yet, why is this man singled out? Well, folks, I'm going to tell you the simple answer, and then I'm going to explain it to you. God healed this man for for his own glory, for the glory of his name. If you don't understand this, then you will have a hard time discerning and understanding what is in the scripture that you read every day. Hopefully, you're reading it every day. So why did God heal this man? For his glory. That's the simple answer. But before I give you the long answer, let me draw your attention first to this. 
In the 1600s, the, the scholars, the Anglican scholars in the Anglican church, they sat down and wanted to put together a simple statement that would help people understand what does it mean to be a Christian and what do Christians believe? You know, many people here today, if somebody stopped you on the street, I don't know if you'd be able to answer that question. Well, this, this is a, an important question that needed to be answered. What, what do we believe? And why do we believe what we believe? And so these, these, uh, these Anglican uh, divines, as they are called, or, or theologians, pastors, they put together a simple explanation and description of what we believe as Christians. And so the, what they did is they put it together in what they called the shorter catechism, and it consists of questions and answers, the questions that, that we might have and the answers to those questions. And so the first question is this, what is the chief end of man? That is, what is the chief re- purpose of every human? And the answer to that is simple. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's that's our reason for living. Did everybody know that? You exist to glorify God, to bring glory to God. You say, Pastor Ron, what does that mean? Well, I'll explain to that in just a minute. But first of all, we need to look at the second question. And the question is, what rule has God given to direct us? and how we may glorify and enjoy God. And the answer to that is the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy God. So let me just say this to everybody this morning. When you read the word of God, it is, it is a revelation from God, but what does it do? What is it, what's the purpose of the scripture? The scripture teaches us how to glorify God. And of course, it begins with being reconciled to God. But after reconciliation, then what? You and I are called by God to live a life that glorifies God. Now I answer the question, what does it mean to glorify God? Well, simply, it means to acknowledge God's greatness, to acknowledge uh, that he is the God of the universe. It's to honor him by praising and worshiping him. But ultimately, it's about pointing people to Jesus. Does that make sense for everybody this morning? The way that I live my life is to glorify God. How do I glorify God? That all that I say and all that I do points people to Jesus. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we're called to proclaim here at Cross Church. When you come to church on Sunday, whatever I say has got to, has got to be something about Jesus and how Jesus transforms us by the power of his spirit. Does this make sense to everybody today? So here's, here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. In case you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, you should know. But it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you remember that it begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus tells us how to be happy. And again, the Beatitudes goes against the wisdom of this world. And so he tells us how how we may have happiness in this life. And then, in those very first few verses of his great sermon, 
He says this in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to stop right here because I would hate it. I would really hate it if you left here thinking that this was something you could do on your own. That you would leave here thinking, oh yeah, that's what I have to do. I can do this. What you need to understand is that, is that Jesus is speaking to people who are converted. People who've got the power of God at work in them. The only way that you and I can possibly be light in this world is as if the spirit of the living God dwells within us richly. Does, does that make sense? But now having said that, if the spirit of the living God is dwelling richly in you, then the next question is, are you letting your light shine? Does your life point to God? Or as Jesus puts it, does your light, your life, your good deeds, does it point people to, to God? Are you causing people to praise God in heaven? Let me bring this even closer to home for you. We've got a number of fathers in the room. The way that you are a father in your life, in your home, does it cause your children to give God thanks? Well, Pastor, all that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Absolutely not. In fact, I would guess that a lot of times the reason why your children maybe don't serve God is because maybe you haven't been glorifying God the way that you ought to as one who has the Holy Spirit. Mothers, you too. Are you living your life in such a way as to cause your children to bring glory to God? Husbands, are you living your life in such a way as it causes your wife to give glory to God? Thank you, God, for my husband who loves you and serves you. Thank you for the gift that I have in my husband. And vice versa, ladies, are you, are you the wife that causes her husband to give God glory? because you are so carefully following the Lord Jesus Christ. What about at work? People see you at work. Someone, someone, they, they heard through the grapevine that you go to church on Sunday. And they look at you, they think, oh, that's the reason why he's smiling all the time. That's the why, reason why she's happy. That's the reason why she's not like the rest of us. Or they'll say, Oh, yeah, you heard that she goes to church? Yeah, right. That, the church, it's full of, yeah, hypocrites. We're to live our lives in such a way as it points people to God and causes people to praise 
our Father in heaven. This, my friends, is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And again, it's only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. The way you speak, your attitude, the way you treat people, all these things are supposed to bring glory to God because our chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And by the way, when you come to the classes uh, starting on Wednesday, you will discover the practical ways you will glory to God through your so please don't miss it. But now we must ask a question. Why must we bring glory to God? Some people would say, oh, God is just this massive egomaniac in the sky. The only way that you can make him happy is by just, just flattering him and showering him with flattering things. Folks, this is, this is why we so often come to a wrong conclusion concerning God, is because, first of all, we don't have a doctrine of God. We don't really know who he is. But one of the first things you will discover as you study theology, and what is theology? It's knowing God. That's basically what it means. That's what theology is, knowing God. If you are going to get to know God, you will understand that God is not like us. And so people come to a wrong conclusion regarding God because they project upon God their own feelings, their own ideas, their own motives. You can never look at God the way you would look at another man because God's not like humans. God, God is not an egomaniac. He hasn't got that ability to be an egomaniac because of his nature. Do we understand that today? So then again, we ask ourselves a question, why should we bring glory to God? Well, here is a simple answer. It's not a complete answer, and it's not the kind of answer that, that really you deserve, but this is something that needs to be discussed over weeks, not just a few minutes. The reason that we are called to bring glory to God, very simply, is for our sake, for the sake of those who don't know God. Because how will people get to know God unless you go in the name of Jesus, living the life that Jesus has called you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? This is why we must glorify God. It's the way that people come to know God. It's the way that we introduce people to God. I read the story of a young girl when she became a Christian, she was a, from a Muslim nation, just 16 years old. And when her father found out that she had become a believer, what did he do? He kicked her out of the house. You cannot live in our house. He was furious. She thought he was going to kill her. But you see, she had been transformed by the power of Almighty God. The spirit of the living God lived in her. So that she never got angry at her father. She was never bitter towards her father. She never tried to get even with her father. She never badmouthed her father. But she continued to consistently model for her father the love of Christ. And it was just a matter of time before the father, seeing the transformation in his daughter, recognized that what she had was not just another religion, Religion. She had, in fact, been transformed by the power of God. 
and he became a Christian too. In fact, I have got all kinds of stories like that of people who have come to Christ because of a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly child. Now, we glorify God so that people can come to know who our God is. And I'll tell you that uh, in order to properly understand how God works and why God does what he does, you need to understand that God is constantly bringing glory to himself for our sakes. Do you read the scripture and you don't understand this then you're going to come to wrong conclusions. You will not interpret the scripture properly. You will come consistently come to wrong conclusions. You will, in fact, find yourself embracing heresy. And we see that happening all the time. No, our job is to bring glory to God, and whether God heals us or doesn't heal us, whatever he does in our lives, we say, God, thank you, and I will believe that this is from your hands and that the purpose of my life is to bring glory to your name, whatever you do with me, in me, or through me. Amen? Yeah. And I know that some people here today, you wonder, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why didn't God do this? I prayed for this, and why, why didn't God show up? Why didn't God do what, he wanted, what I wanted him to do? Well, folks, it's never about what you want. When you go into prayer, you don't tell God what to do. You go before the Father, and you say, God, what do you want to do? And this is why Jesus said, when I came, when I, came I came doing the will of the Father, nothing more and nothing less so that it meant that Jesus actually had to go to the cross. He had to lay down his life. Why? Because it was the Father's will. And Isaiah says it wasn't just the Father's will, it was the Father's good pleasure that his son go to the cross for us. And folks, look at, if he didn't go to the cross for us, you and I would not be here today. We might be somewhere in this world, but we wouldn't be here together because the thing that brings us all together, people from every tribe and race and nation and background, we've come together because of Jesus. That's why we're here this morning, because of the work of God in our lives. And so we, if we're going to properly understand Scripture, we need to understand that the ultimate purpose of God is to bring glory through his name. Some of you have heard of Johnny Erickson. She was a young girl. I remember in my, when I was just a young teenager, I remember getting the comic book about her life. And um, very simply, she, she is a young Christian girl. She went swimming, and she, she dived off the edge and didn't know that she was diving into shallow water. She broke her neck, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. And what happened after that is she began, obviously, to pray for healing. God, heal me. Heal my body. And God didn't answer that prayer. And some well-meaning people, but ignorant people, came along and said, well, if you had more faith, God would heal you. And so what did she do? She tried to stir up her faith. She tried to, God, I, I gotta, I'll ratchet this up a bit. I'll have more faith. I'll have more faith. And God never answered her prayer. And then people came along and said, it's because she had sin in her life. And she started trying to confess her sin. And she's racking her brain. What did I do that was so bad that would cause this? Now, look what's happened here. She's got her eyes off of God, and she's got her eyes on herself. She's got her eyes on others. She's got her eyes on the circumstances, but her eyes are off of God. And there are some that said if she, if she 
was she had to write theology and, and all kinds of all kinds of abuse was heaped upon her simply be, by people who were ignorant with the scripture. But here's what you need to know. One day she came to the realization that this is exactly what God wanted for her life to bring glory to his name. Now, this is not a message that's often preached in a Pentecostal church who don't want to hear that. But I'm going to tell you that God's will shall be done. And our responsibility is to say, yes, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even if it means I have to be nailed to a cross. Now, nobody's saying amen or hallelujah here. Or we're not sure. Is he preaching heresy? I'm going to tell you, all the apostles, they were all put to death because of their faith, except for one, who God kept alive for a purpose. What was the purpose? So that he could take the revelation of the book called Revelation. Some, some were hung upside down. The, 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 uh, the tradition says that Peter said, I don't want to be crucified right side up because that's too much like Jesus. I don't deserve that. He says, crucify me upside down. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that was the heartbeat of the believers in that early church. God, hear my, use me. If you want me to be a martyr, I'll be a martyr. In fact, we're going to find out in just a few chapters, Stephen, the first martyr, what was his crime? He refused to renounce Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Jesus Christ And when he was told to recant, he refused. He says, how can I do that? I can't recant. I can't turn away from what's real, what's true. And so what did they do? They stoned him to death. You say, well, what good could God get out of that? I'll tell you. There was a young man by the name of Saul who was holding the clothes of those who were stoning this young man. He watched and saw with his own eyes that Stephen was not terrified, he was not angry, he was not vengeful. In fact, he was uttering words of praise and even words of forgiveness towards those who were stoning him to death. I believe it was at that moment that God got a hold of Saul, who later became none other than the Apostle Paul. Well, Pastor Owen, I don't know if I like this sermon. Look, I'm not saying you're all going to get stoned to death when you go home this week. But what you need to understand is what God wants to do in your life and through your life. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, look at, I am not trying to try to make things as rosy as possible to get as much people as possible to come to my church. If I did that, I would definitely not be preaching this sermon. In fact, what I would be doing is I'd be focusing only on the healing. I wouldn't be focused on what's behind the healing, which is the glory of God. This is what it's about. We bring glory to God. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. It's no coincidence that James, or that uh, Peter and John have this conversation with the layman. Silver and gold have I none. By the way, what is the main idol in North America? Silver and gold, money, right? 
Money is what we desire. Money is what our heart longs. Money is what the natural man desires above all things. And along came the prosperity preachers, and what did they say? You can have God and you can have money. And it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. So for many people, money is an idol. And for some of you here today, that might be an idol that you are struggling with. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is confronting you with what's going on in your heart. We had a baby dedication this morning. That's why I'm a little bit spiffier today than usual. I even had a nice pink tie on for the little girl, little Lillian. And I said to the parents, you know, the temptation is that you want your child to do big and wonderful things. You want to live vicariously through your children. All the, all the great fame and fortune you never got, you want your kids to have. But I want to remind you today, the most important thing that you're going to do as a parent for your child is to teach them Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added unto you. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. And so God says to Isaiah, I'm not sharing my glory with any idols. I'm not sharing my glory with money, with mammon. No, our job is to bring glory to God. And the only way that that can happen, my friends, is by you and I living as Jesus tells us to live Again, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter five, he tells us, live your life in such a way as it causes people to glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter six, you live your life in such a way that you put God first and God provides for you and he meets all your needs. And I'm gonna tell you something this morning. This is not just theory. It works. It's the way Gloria and I have lived our lives from day one. It's the way we've trained our children. Put God first, and God will meet your needs. And we see that. Gloria and I were just able to visit Jesse and Amber in New Jersey this uh, uh, past month and to see how they put God first in their lives and how God has provided for them and met their every need. Not once did I hear them bragging about what they have. Not once was that the most important thing to them. The most important thing to them is the church they go to, the worship, and the fellowship they get to experience. Our lives are supposed to bring glory to God. And so I want to ask you again, is your life bringing glory to God? Now, Peter understood this. And by the way, that's what Acts chapter 3 is all about. It's about bringing glory to God. Does everybody get that this morning? And you'll see this in just a moment. Don't get sidetracked by the healing, which, which happens to so many people. In fact, that's what it says here. They all came rushing out to see what's going on. What's this, what is this healing all about? Peter and John, they assumed nothing. They didn't didn't assume, oh, now everybody's going to praise God. No, 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 no. Peter saw this as an opportunity. And so this this is what we read in the next verses. Peter saw his opportunity. I love that. Oh, there's a crowd here. Here's my chance. And he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this healing? And why stare at us though, as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Don't look at us. Look to God. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all the, our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. 
And so we see here how to glorify God. We talked about what God wants to do. He wants to glorify himself. And now you and I this morning are learning how to glorify God. So here's the first thing you need to do is you need to seize the opportunity. How many know that you and I will face opportunities all the time? And you know instantly, here's my opportunity. Someone's struggling at work, they're getting a divorce, maybe, they're, maybe their relationship's on the rocks, they're, they're having a hard time with their health. This is an opportunity. We understand as Christians that Jesus Christ is the answer to all human need. Would you say amen to that? Yes. By the way, don't hesitate to say amen. You don't have to wait for me to tell you to say it. Are you taking advantage of every opportunity? I'm not talking about shoving religion down people's throats, but I'm going to tell you, opportunity comes to you on a daily basis. Now, can I just confess something? I'm, I'm not always good at this, but the good news, I'm getting better at it. Anybody else? We're getting better at this, but I'm going to tell you, every, every day there's opportunity at least every week, opportunity to point people to Jesus. That's exactly what happens here. So you want to know how to, how to glorify God? The first thing you need to do is you need to seize the opportunity. Here's my opportunity. The next thing you need to do is you need to declare your own powerlessness. See, that goes against what we are told in our culture, in our society. We want to declare that we have power, that we are strong, that we have no need, that we are self-sufficient, that we can stand on our own two feet. But here's what the apostles declare. They say, don't think that we, we did this in our own power. No, we're powerless. You need to declare your dependence upon God. Even as you are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, you need to tell people, the reason I became a Christian is because I came to the end of myself. I recognize I don't have the ability, I don't have the power, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom to live this life. This world is difficult. Life on this planet is difficult. Life on this planet is difficult. I remember my pastor friend in England, he said, Alan, one thing you will learn as you get a little older is that life is a veil of tears. The good news, my friends, is that we are preparing for a better world where there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. We're looking forward to better days. Until that day comes, we will continue to point people to Jesus, and we will be the first ones to admit our utter need and dependence of God. I am dependent on God. I can't make it on my own. Can you make it on your own? I can't. And I, I think I've got my ducks in a row, and I've got, my, I got my, myself in order, but I, if anything, my friends, I have been dependent upon God my entire life. I am powerless on my own. And that's really what these men are saying. They're saying to the crowd, I, uh, we're powerless. I, as Paul said, I'm just a clay vessel. God's, God's sent me forward with this message in, in a vessel made of clay. But the good news is I have the Holy Spirit at work in me and through me to do his will. 
I gotta give you one more example. I gotta tell you about Paul and his thorn, the thorn in his flesh. Remember hearing about that? Because some people think, well, once I become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. No more problems. Has anybody found that to be true? Because <laughs> if you found that to be true, maybe you should be up here preaching instead of me. But you know, Peter, you know Paul says? You know, I got this thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times that God would take this. We don't know what the thorn is, but obviously it was something that irritated him greatly. It was of great concern to him. And he prayed three times. You know what he said? He says, in order to stop me from being conceited, in order to stop me from being self-sufficient, God said, nah, I'm not going to take the thorn. You've got to keep it. But what about the power of God and the, the Holy Spirit? And what about the day of Pentecost? And what about all the miracles? And God says, no, not for you. It's not for you. You're, you're, you're going to keep that thorn. And it's going to keep you from being conceited. And it's going to keep you from forgetting about me. How many of you would be in favor of having a thorn in their flesh if it meant that it kept them from departing from the Lord? Amen. Sometimes God says, no, you've got to keep that. You've got to be powerless. And you know what you know, Paul writes? He says, I discovered that God's grace is sufficient for me. And God declares God declares that in his weakness, God's power is, is given. So next time you complain about your powerlessness, rejoice. Rejoice. God hasn't forgotten about you. It means he's still working in you. And his grace will be sufficient for you. And you're going to get through it. And you're going to make it to a place called eternity. That's how you glorify God. Declare your powerlessness. Declare your sinfulness. It wasn't because we're, we're, we're so godly. It's not our godliness that makes it possible for us to be used by God. Oh, no. You know, Christians sometimes come across as holier than thou. I'll tell you, there is nothing that's more off-putting than that. Would you agree with that? Nothing is more offensive than when you go around people, they... they you make, they make you feel judged and condemned. Oh, no, no, this, Peter and John, they understand. It wasn't because of their godliness that God was able to use them. Because it was because of their utter dependence upon God, the recognition that they were sinners in need of Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear that, that you're, you're a work in progress and that God has washed away your sin, and that God continues his sanctifying work in your life. He continues to make you holy. And that what God has done for you, he can do for them. That's how you bring glory to God. I'll tell you something else you need to do, because this, and this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but you, what you have to do is you have to call out sin when you see it. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. What, what's Peter saying here? <laughs> this Jesus, this Jesus who was handed over and rejected before Pilate, this Jesus whom Pilate had made up his mind was, Jesus was innocent, 
He says, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. So here we are, we are saying, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And on the other hand, we're saying, yeah, and we're all sinners. And that is your problem. Imagine telling people that. That's what you have to do. You have to be honest and upfront about it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't pretend. Don't pretend that they've got it all together. Don't pretend. It's, it's the great elephant in the room. We all know we're sinners. Everybody knows that. But don't pretend that it's not there or that it doesn't matter. It matters. And so this is what Peter and John are doing. They're saying, we, we are guilty, but the good news is that God can forgive sin. Sometimes, some think it was the Jews who killed Jesus. Well, certainly God used them for this purpose, but he also used Herod and Pontius Pilate. But I want you to really know who killed Jesus. And this is going to shock some of you. I killed him. I killed Jesus. And so did you. The reason Jesus had to die on the cross was because of my sin. I could not have eternal life because of my sin. I was was far from God, but because I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I was reconciled to the Father. I'm the one who put Jesus on the cross. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to glorify God. This is what it means to glorify Christ is we acknowledge our sin and then we acknowledge the one who has washed our sins away. How do we glorify God? Seize every opportunity. How do we glorify God? Declare your powerlessness. How do we glorify God? Declare your sinfulness. How do we glorify God? Call out sin, admit it. Recognize it for what it is. How do we glorify God? Well, you need to point to Jesus as a source of salvation, which is by faith alone. Nobody here can work their way into heaven. Can I just remind everybody of that? You say, Pastor John, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, in my family, I am the best one. Nobody is as righteous as I am in my family. As far as I know, Pastor John, I might even be the most righteous one in my community. And some, some might say that I would be the most righteous one in Canada, if the truth be known. No. Our source of salvation is in Christ alone. And here's what, here's what the writer says here, verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus. You underline that in your Bible. Through faith in the name of Jesus. This man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Can I just point out something to you now? I believe we're going to see this man in heaven. It doesn't say that he was, he was, it doesn't say especially that he was converted or born again. But you see, he put his faith in Jesus' name. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest healing of all is a healing of the broken relationship between us and God. Hallelujah. That's the greatest healing of all. What 
What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world but loses a soul? What does it profit a man if I got perfect legs, perfect arms, perfect eyes, and yet I lose my soul? I believe this man was healed because he put his faith in Jesus, but I believe he was healed spiritually, which is the greatest healing of all. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. You see how God glorifies himself through us? By pointing people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only answer. He's the only answer. He's the only solution for your marriage problems. He's the only solution for your child, your children's problems. He's the only solution for your problems in all your relationships. He's the only solution for your guilt and shame. Now, let me just say this in closing. Glorifying God means that we define all of life by eternity. Did you get that? In other words, to glorify God means to remind everybody that this world is not our home, that this life is not all that there is. It's to remind everybody that we've been created in the image of God. We were created as eternal beings. Now, what does Satan want to do? Through the love of silver and gold, he wants to make us forget about eternity. He wants us to think, This is all there is. So eat, drink, and be merry. Have a blast. Knock yourself out. Make lots of money. This is all that matters. That's what Satan wants us to believe. He wants us to put our faith in that which is temporal. Temporal means temporary. It's going to pass away. It's going to fade. It will be consumed at the end of time. You and I, as we bring glory to God, we remind the people in our lives. We remind them, you are are an eternal creature, an eternal being. I remember talking to my grandfather just before he died. And he said, this life went so quick. And he said, this can't be all there is. And now that I'm 60, I would say a hearty amen to that. It's gone like that. This can't be all there is. And the reason we know that, the reason we feel it instinctively is because this is the way God created us. So our responsibility is to remind people, you were created to spend eternity with God. And so this is what, what Peter says for those who repent and put their faith in Christ. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. How do we bring glory to God? By reminding one another that Jesus is coming again. That this life is not all there is. There's so much more. There's the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, shall we? Can I just remind everybody of something before I pray? 
After Peter preached this message that glorified the Lord Jesus Christ, after proclaiming Christ, after glorifying the Lord through this healing, want to know what happened? It says in chapter 4, verse 4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it so that the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. We're looking at the numbers, not doubling, not tripling, but quadrupling, and some would think even more. This is the power of God as Jesus Christ is proclaimed, as Christ is exalted. Your children will come to Christ. Your grandchildren will come to Christ. Your neighbors, your friends, your siblings, your cousins will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now you need to go from here and you need to pray. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Father, glorify yourself through my life. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder today. Our calling, our responsibility is to bring glory to God. Father, help us to understand today that when we pray and things don't work out the way we want them to work out, this does not mean that you're silent, that you hate us, that you've forgotten about us, that you don't love us, or that we have a lack of faith. It simply means, oh God, that you are glorifying yourself in our lives such as they are. We thank you today, Lord, that you love us. We thank you today you've not forgotten about us. We thank you today, oh God, your spirit dwells within us richly. Oh God, we pray in Jesus' name, go with us from this place and cause your name to be glorified in our lives. Father, we surrender ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go glorify the Lord.